Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Tuesday, October the 22nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a positive show, we explore the aftermath from Sunday's loss in Buffalo, how Miami is inching closer to a win, playing better football, and giving us hope with this coaching staff the snap counts, key data from the game, and we'll play a game of who stays and who goes. And finally, we go back to campus as I detail notes from a scout, give my own report on 10 players I watched from the weekend, and tell you why Chase Young is not a fit for this Dolphins defense. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Top 200 on Apple Podcasts, top 100 on Spotify, Thank you for that. Let's keep it going. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. You can find the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have tons of content on the site for you guys today. Let's go ahead and jump right in. So going back to the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, it is Aftermath Tuesday as we look at the Dolphins 21, Bills 31 as Miami falls to 0-6 on the season. And we go down the team statistics here. We talked about it on yesterday's podcast. This team has the worst second half point differential through six weeks of any team in NFL history. But on the whole, improvements have been made. The Dolphins allowed just 17 points on the Bills' first seven drives prior to that fumble that put Buffalo at the plus 16. And of course, prior to that onside kickoff return for a touchdown, the 30% conversion on third downs was a season low. But still, the Dolphins rank near the bottom of the league in most categories. They are 21st in total yards allowed, but they're last in yards per play at 6.6. And only the Falcons have allowed more points than Miami by just 12 points, even though Atlanta's played one more game than the Finns. The Dolphins have the 10th fewest missed tackles in football, and they're blitzing the quarterback more than about half the league at 24.4%. But in the grand scheme, it's not doing much to get quarterbacks to the ground. The Dolphins are tied for the fewest quarterback knockdowns in the league with Tennessee, and only the Falcons have fewer sacks than Miami. The Dolphins' pass defense is 12th best in the NFL, and the run defense is 30th in the NFL. On offense, the Dolphins rank last in points per game, 31st in total yards and passing offense, 30th in rushing offense, and they are 28th in third down conversions. Now, that was negative. I said this show was going to be positive, and I want to tell you guys why I think this should be a positive show and a positive season so far for this Dolphins outfit. Because we all knew they were short on talent and weren't going to be able to find a way to overcome the lack of talent when it comes to wins and losses. But the things the Dolphins can control, like penalties, like blown coverage, missed assignments, all these things that were huge, huge factors under Adam Gase, under Matt Burke, under Vance Joseph on the defensive side of the ball, and even going back to Joe Philbin in his time here, Miami has completely turned that around thanks to Brian Flores and his staff and maybe even the TNT wall, the takes no talent wall, because early on it looked like maybe Miami wasn't as disciplined as they should be, but things are beginning to round in that way, and the team is taking hold of Brian Flores' message, really the only goal for this entire season. You go back to the second game of the season, the Dolphins have gone 4, 5, 5, 5, and 6 penalties for 22, 35, 
53, 45, and 55 yards. They are third from bottom in the NFL in penalties per game. At 5.7 penalties per game, only Carolina and the Colts have been better as far as committing penalties in the National Football League this year. So while the tank is still intact, there have been some encouraging signs going forward. And with that, let's talk about the most encouraging performance of the season in Sunday's loss against Buffalo. We'll have some more from the film study standpoint on tomorrow's show. Let's go ahead and get to the snap counts and PFF data here, though. I've been talking all season about how Miami has basically had the same offensive line start and finish most of their games. That was not the case on Sunday. Only three players, Evan Baim, Jesse Davis, and Michael Dieter played all 73 snaps. Jamarcus Webb was in there for 66, Shaq Calhoun for 55, Chris Reed got his first 18 snaps of the season and he played well, we'll talk about him, and Isaiah Prince played 10, Fitzpatrick played all 73, at running back Mark Walton leads the way with 38 snaps, that's 52%, Kenyon Drake had 30, Chandler Cox had his high on the season as well with 18, and Kalen Balaj played just 5 snaps on Sunday. At receiver, a bunch of guys getting some time out here as well. Preston Williams, 66, that's 90%. Devontae Parker, 62, and a big drop-off after that as Miami were primarily in 12 and 21 personnel. The third highest snap getter at receiver was Alan Hearns with 26, Albert Wilson had 17, and Jakeem Grant had seven with Isaiah Ford getting four snaps on Sunday. Durham Smythe led the way for tight ends with 37 snaps, Mike Kosicki right behind him at 33, and Nick O'Leary, the big drop-off with 19 reps on Sunday. So Dieter now is the only Miami Dolphin that has played 100% of the snaps on either side of the ball. That should come as no surprise because he was the all-time consecutive starts leader in Wisconsin Badger offensive line history, the most decorated offensive line school in the country. Fitzpatrick was hit just three times in this game, far and away a season low, and no player allowed more than one hit on Fitzpatrick. Evan Bame had the lowest amount of pressures from the guys that played the most. He allowed just two, although he didn't grade favorably as a run blocker. In fact, Chris Reed, the right guard, came in and had the only above average run blocking grade in pro football focus. He was docked in pass protection, although he didn't allow a single pressure, so I don't know how that works. Jamarcus Webb, Isaiah Prince, Kenyon Drake, and Mark Walton were all very very deep in the red in pass protection. Webb has been a problem so far at left tackle, as you'd expect in a street free agent. Jesse Davis had a bounce back game, one hit, two hurries, and a positive run blocking grade on the day as well. And Shaq Calhoun had the best pass blocking grade of all the offensive linemen, though he had three pressures allowed. So I don't know how that system works. I thought he was better against the run than the pass. At the skill positions, Mike Gesicki, he was asked to block just five times on his 31 snaps. And only one of those was in pass protection. Eat your heart out, Adam Gase. And he had his best game of his career. If he caught the pass that was called back on the hold, it would have been five for five with targets and catches for 68 yards and 13.6 yards per target. But still, without that catch, he graded in the green area, which is above average in all categories for tight ends. Durham Smythe did not allow a pressure on eight pass blocking reps and pro football focus gave him an above average run blocking grade. Preston Williams had a nice day, 75% of his targets, a 30% increase over his season total. He gained three first downs and averaged almost 14 yards per catch. Devontae Parker did drop another pass, but all four of his catches moved the chains or scored a touchdown. And Mark Walton, of those 66 yards on the ground, 63 of them came after contact, an average of 4.5 yards per carry after contact. An impressive day for him. And Kenyon Drake had just 1.67 yards after contact on his six total carries. 
On the other side of the ball, defensively, Christian Wilkins' ejection put the Dolphins' defense in a bind. Taco Charlton only came off the field for one snap. He played 55 in this game. Devon Godshaw played 40, and John Jenkins played 38. Way more than you want the big man playing, although he had a great day. Christian Wilkins had the two snaps at linebacker. Jerome Baker played all 56. Raekwon McMillan played 40. Charles Harris played 39. He got back into the lineup. Vince Beagle played 34. Trent Harris, 22. And Sam Aguava now, your lowest linebacker snap taker below Trent Harris with 16 snaps in the game. At cornerback, Eric Rowe played all 56. Ken Webster played 44. Nick Needham played 38. Jamal Wiltz played 34. Ryan Lewis, 33. And Chris Lamont's 13. And the only safety with snaps in this game was Bobby McCain. So, cornerbacks, cornerbacks, cornerbacks. Think about defensive backs in this year's draft and this year's free agency. This is the area of the team that drives the defense. You've got six players that played more than 59% of the snaps in the secondary. Think about that. That means more than half the snaps were a dime defense. That's how this defense thrives. That's how this defense operates. We've told you that for a while now. It's coming true, even though the talent isn't quite there yet. As far as the stats go, John Jenkins had the only elite grade given out to a Dolphins player this year, 90.3 into the blue. He did that with pressure and good run defense, four pressures, two run stops, and the highest grade in the game. Jerome Baker and Vince Beagle both had two pressures each. Both of Baker's were hits on Josh Allen, including one rush that got a third down stop for the Dolphins defense. He had four tackles with no misses, had one run stop, and allowed just 14 yards on three pass targets. Vince Beagle missed two tackles, which severely dampered his grade. He did hit Josh Allen and hurried him another time and made three tackles, one for a run stop. Taco Charlton continues to impress against the run. He had a cleanup sack in the game, but he did make two negative plays in the running game. And Jamal Wiltz allowed just one catch on three targets, although it was the touchdown. And Eric Rowe, too, was one for three in catches and targets, but only a measly two-yard gain. Nick Needham had the second-highest run defense grade and was the key man on Taco Charlton's sack, getting the contact on the quarterback first. And PFF has him two targets for two receptions allowed, although I know that's not true because I took a video of one of his incompletions where he challenged the route and caused the incomplete pass. So not really sure what's going on there, but those are the notes. Check out more details on that from the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. The aftermath, we'll come back and talk about which players are going to stay, which players are going to go. But first, the folks at Roman, a men's health company, are changing the game with Roman Swipes, the secret to longer lasting sex. Get $10 off your first order of swipes and free two-day shipping at GetRoman.com slash Locked on NFL. I am the beast. Feed me rappers or feed me beats. I'm untamed. I need a leash. I'm insane. I need a shrink. If you guys hear any extracurricular activity going on in the house, we are having a thousand dollars worth of plumbing work done to our house today. So yay, that's fun. But I do apologize if there's any sound in the background and the cat is also running around the house like crazy because she is terrified. So if you hear anything, that's what it is. And I do apologize for the technical difficulties we had on yesterday's show. I played it just fine, but apparently a few of you had some issues. So I hope that got corrected. It was an issue with our provider. So we'll figure out if that's clean going forward. Let's go ahead and jump back in here to some football content. And I think that game on Sunday was encouraging for so many fans because of certain players that elevated their games and their play on Sunday. You have to be excited when a former fourth round pick cast off is the most most impressive back on the field in a game that included the impressive Frank Gore. You have to be excited when your rookie undrafted free agent receiver, who your best cornerback said would be a future number one receiver, 
looked like a number one receiver. And you have to be excited that your second year tight end who was criminally misused last year is now making the same plays as a professional that he made in college, which made him a second round pick. And so I wanted to do a segment on today's show where I went back through the roster through six games, the first third of the season and the current roster and placing these guys into two categories, players we know will be here next year, We'll call that the written and pen category and then the pencil category, guys that we think could have a future here through six games. I'll try not to insert too much recency bias in this just from last game alone. So let's go ahead and get to it. The first one is easy. Guys, we know that will be here. Xavier Howard, the contract. You're concerned about the injury as well. You should be a pair of knee injuries the last couple of years made him miss some games. He could be a trade candidate, I suppose, today. I doubt that's going to happen. But you can see what Stephon Gilmore means for that defense in New England. You have to think that Brian Flores thinks the same way about Xavier Howard as he did with Gilmore up in Foxborough. Christian Wilkins, he's going to be here. His response to the ejection is exactly why the staff loves him. He's mature, loves and respects the game. He's an explosive player. I thought he was showing progress each week until, of course, he missed the game on Sunday after two plays. But man, it's tough for a guy like that to make an impact on this defense, on this team. But he'll be one of the focal points going forward as will Devon Godshaw, his running mate at the defensive tackle position. He's steady, a good run defender, a good soldier who says the right things. I expect him to work on a new contract here very shortly. Raquan McMillan, his run defense is paramount to this team, and no one in this team can do the job that he does against the run. It's an important role, not the most important role, but a role that definitely needs to be fulfilled, and McMillan does it. Jerome Baker, he's slowly coming around now. I'm excited to see his film on tomorrow's podcast on the All-22. I think his blitz is looking better, his coverage is looking good, and maybe he's coming around on the run defense. He's going to be a captain of this defense for a long time. And then Michael Dieter, whether it's as a starter or a backup, I think this guy's going to develop, and we need to stop kicking these guys to the curb so fast and discarding them so easily. We need to develop offensive linemen, especially third-round picks. These are the kind of guys that, even though they start slow in their career, can be long-term stalwarts on your offensive line for cost control and wind up being very valuable players to you in the long term. Dieter's going to be here. Jesse Davis is going to be here. I don't have as much confidence in Davis. I think he's probably more of a sixth swingman type of offensive lineman, but he has a contract that will keep him here. And then Mike Gesicki, we know, you guys know how I feel about this guy right now, gives you the ultimate flexibility, can go from 11 to 12 personnel just by flexing him out wide. And I think he pairs very well with the strengths of a Tua Tungavailoa. And Durham Smythe helps unlock him in the passing game. I won't put Smythe in this category just yet, but I do think he's going to be here for the long term. And then I'm going to go ahead and put Preston Williams in this category. It's pretty obvious they see big things in him. And I'll give you some detail on the scouting process of Preston later on in this show with an exclusive conversation from a scout on Williams and other Dolphins draft topics. But the work he did in camp, the punt returning, the targets in the preseason, and now the top snap getter at receiver, it's clear they want to develop Preston Williams as a number one receiver and I think he's on his way there at the very least a number two. So that's nine guys that we know will be back next year, not including specialists. Let's talk about the guys I think will be back, the guys in the pencil category, and let's go from quarterbacks down the top of the roster. I think it's going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick. They clearly value the things that he brings in leadership, huddle etiquette, the way he's wired, the way he galvanizes the team. 
Definitely a preferred option to be the backup to Tua over Rosen right now. And you go back to yesterday's game, post-game, Josh Allen spoke about his relationship with Ryan Fitzpatrick and how valuable Fitzpatrick was in helping him get his feet acclimated in the NFL his first year. Got in touch with Josh Allen, even though he wasn't his teammate, and gave him a bunch of notes on how to live in Buffalo and how to be a professional quarterback. I thought that was really cool to hear, and it tells you a lot about how this team will perceive his value next offseason. Mark Walton, recency bias be damned. I think he's at least the number three back on this team next year. He stays in pencil. Devontae Parker, all of a sudden consistent and steady and finally healthy, has the right attitude. Talked to us via Joe Shad on the podcast back in like June saying he wants to change his legacy and he's happy to be here. It's crazy. I I can't believe we've gotten to this point, but I am officially a Devontae Parker fan. Jakeem Grant, going to have to earn the rest of that deal. There's an out in that contract after this season, but I do think he'll be back. He just might be the most expensive return man in football if he is back. And then Durham Smythe, I think he's a very quality blocker, a perfect number two tight end behind Mike Gesicki. You could ask for more, but I think that's not an area you have to concern yourself with this offseason when you want to reshape most of the roster. Evan Bame, I am this close to putting him in that top category as at least a sixth offensive lineman interior type. He's tough, he's smart, he's competitive, and he's good in both aspects of the game, both run and in pass. I think Shaq Calhoun's a good backup offensive lineman as well. Seems like we have plenty of those types of guys, but they're developing this line slowly but surely. If we can find a couple of starters out of this group and get good quality depth, it would be a win. And I think Calhoun is that because of his run blocking. I think Isaiah Prince might be that as a sixth extra offensive lineman type of guy as well, a backup who can run block. And then on defense, Taco Charlton, good for his run defense, plays the way they want him to play in the scheme, sets the edge, flattens the edge, works down inside. He does have three sacks, but really he's kind of a lousy pass rusher. Two of those were cleanup sacks on Dak Prescott and Josh Allen. And then John Jenkins, he might be the Danny Shelton for this defense, a guy that can give you 200, 300 snaps in a season. He played really well on Sunday. He's huge. He's hard to move. And I think he fits in well with what they want to do here on this defensive line. Vince Beagle, I think he's close to that upper category as well. A good pass rusher and a viable edge run defender. He's smart and seems to understand the stunts and twists and delayed blitzes of this scheme. Sam Aguavin, I have him on here, but special teams exclusive only. He's not a linebacker. He's not going to make it in this league as a linebacker. Just go ahead and cut bait on that idea right now. Jamal Wiltz, competitive, good tackler. I know he's had mistakes, but he's the type of guy you don't give up on because of the way he plays. And I think he stands to be one of the feathers in the cap for development players here in Miami. And speaking of that, Nick Needham in that same category, good feet, good hips, also a competitor, plays the run very well. I think he has a future. And we'll go with Bobby McCain for the last one here. I think salary could make him a casualty. That's why he's in pencil. But I think he's earned the versatility role this year, playing back in deep safety, playing some slot still. That's big for this defense. He's a captain. And I think he's mostly played well this season. And that's as far as I'm willing to go. So that's 24 players. We're going to have 11 draft picks next year, probably some UDFAs on the roster. Again, a couple of big name free agents. Let's call it two or three. Plenty of bargain free agents. Let's call that five or six. So in total, we'll call it eight in free agency and not just the low end free agents. I'm talking about guys that will actually play because I'm sure they'll sign some more guys like, for instance, Dwayne Allen or guys like Tank Carradine this offseason. So that's eight free agents with 11 rookies, 19 new players to go to our 24. 
four. That brings us up to 43 plus the low end free agents and UDFAs. And of course, the three specialists we didn't talk about. So not that far away from having the rebuild take hold next season. I think it can happen next year. And we'll come back and update this list probably in another five weeks when there are five more games left to go and get you a feeling for how this team has progressed over those five games and rolling into December. And as we get closer to that time of the year, it means we're getting closer to the offseason and the draft. And next, we'll come back and talk about the weekend in college football. I'll tell you why you need to get off the idea of Chase Young and some notes from a scout and potential landing spots for Kenyon Drake. All of that and more next here. Locked on Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. One of my favorite things about this season, or I probably should say it has been my absolute favorite thing this season is watching college football on Saturdays, knowing that we're going to have our pick of the litter at the top of the draft and throughout the draft as Miami will run Vegas when it comes to draft weekend at the end of April in 2020. And we have the quarterback thread up, but we've been adding players from other positions to this thread the last few weeks. So if you guys are looking for college football scouting on the Miami Dolphins with a Dolphins twist, you got to check out LockedOnDolphins.com. I'm the guy doing it for you every single week. And now we're going to go ahead and talk about a few of these guys. Ohio State running back J.K. Dobbins is a freak in terms of the way he's built. Compactly built below the waist, thick quads and calves, and just a thick lower half that gives him good balance. But he also has home run speed, loves to stick his face in the fan and pass protect. He can win in short yardage. He can hit home runs. This guy is an absolute home run pick for the Dolphins if they can get him on day two or maybe even day three if they're lucky. Another Ohio State player, cornerback Jeff Okuda. I talked about him a few weeks ago. He shut down the Northwestern passing game, although everybody does that. There's a video thread in the article on LockedOnDolphins.com where I show you doing some great stuff in one-on-one coverage with his excellent feet and hips and transition from backpedal into uh, side shuffle and going forward pulling his trigger. He's a terrific cornerback, the best in the country. Clemson safety linebacker corner slash does everything. Isaiah Simmons had a home run game on Saturday against Louisville. He is all over the place. Modern day type of linebacker slash safety, long, disruptive, a terrific blitzer, good in run support, likes to hit. He can turn and run. He can match Travis Etienne, a 4.3940 yard dash. He is amazing and a top 10 pick my Derwin James this season. Speaking of ETN, he too is fantastic. He takes these small gains and turns them into big home run hits, breakaway speed, valuable in the passing game, slippery runner. Clemson has talent every year and Simmons and ETN both fit that mold. I'd go after both those guys hard as well if I can't get Dobbins from Ohio State and Simmons with that Steelers pick in the first round. Iowa right tackle Tristan Wirfs. I thought he has some moments where he's not the best in the running game. He's fantastic in pass protection, a great initial anchor, just a large human being. He had a pretty good game against Purdue. Check out that video thread. He's probably in line for that pick from the Steelers. Maybe if you're lucky, the pick from the Texans, but he's a first round talent at right tackle. Another Iowa product, and this guy plays off the edge. He's the number two defensive end behind Chase Young on everybody's big board, and mine too, but A.J. Epinesa is a way 
better fit for this defense because of his length and his ability to stack and shed and react the way they want guys to play on defense here in Miami. You're not going to always see it on tape, but he can unlock his hips and work laterally and make tackles look awfully bad. He knows how to get to the inside post, rush the edge. He can stunt. He can twist. He can loop all about the formation. And Chase Young can do those things too, but he's not as long. He's not anywhere near as dominant in the running game, and he's definitely not Nick Bosa. So let's please stop calling him that because Bosa was well-rounded. Chase Young right now is a pass rusher. And what did we see Miami do all offseason long? Devalue pure pass rushers and go after guys that can play the run on the way to the pass and create pressure through the scheme, through stunts, and all that stuff. So Chase Young, he's a great-looking player. He's going to go off the board in the top three of this draft. He's just not going to go to Miami. I hate to burst that bubble. It's just not going to happen. Louisville left tackle Makai Becton. I'm iffy on this guy, and he's not, he's probably the only guy in this group that isn't a first rounder. He's huge, six foot seven, 370, and he does play with sheer power. But the reason I have him on day two, probably in the third round somewhere, is that he's very, very raw from a technical standpoint. He has to get that improved. Go check out the video thread on LockedOnDolphins.com. He is just whacking guys sometimes with that strong upper body. Oklahoma center Creed Humphrey, another thread on him. I've talked about him a lot. Best center in the country by far. Go check that out. C.D. Lamb, he's an option with that Steelers pick as well. I've got a video in that article up on the website showing him do his thing last Saturday in that game as well. And their linebacker, Kenneth Murray, is so fast and can run and cover and hit people with authority. He's one to watch. I think he is another one of these guys that fits in modern day football, a 100% snap taker, and probably an upgrade to what you want Jerome Baker to be in this defense. So go check out all those video threads, LockedOnDolphins.com. And now, as promised, some notes from a scout who we talked about his quarterback rankings and grades last week on the podcast. I talked about Preston Williams, and this scout said that Preston Williams was the best receiver that he scouted last year in college football. But you've got to stay on him with a coaching standpoint and pushing him every single day. The character and talent have two separate grades from them. So you'll have a first round talent, but you're going to have to talk about the grade from character and how you have to push and motivate this guy. And that's why I'm confident in the way this staff and Brian Flores has handled Preston Williams, giving him all that action, expecting him to raise the level of his game right away. I think he's responded, made some mistakes, but I think that'll be the best for him going forward. Some other funny notes here. He mentioned that nobody in Denver wanted Tim Tebow besides Josh McDaniels, and he pushed that pick across. Nobody else had a starter grade on Tim Tebow. There was push to start Tebow thinking that he would come in and make them lose to get Andrew Luck, and then Tim Tebow went on that run. I thought that was a hilarious note. And we got on that topic because we talked about Tank. And he says there was never an intention to try to lose games. He thinks there's a plan in place. There's always a plan in place. And the guys are playing to win. So we can go ahead and rest assured knowing that. And then as far as the approach this season, he mentioned that it's going to be different because they have so many draft picks and so many opportunities to find guys, but still the approach is the same. You tend to go after every single position and find guys at every single school, but you do typically cast a wider net over your needs on your roster and you do your due diligence on the rest of the draft. But this year, he says, they're going to be casting a wide net because they have needs all over the place. And of course, they have all those draft picks. So it'll be a different approach this year than what it's been in the past. So those are my notes from the scout. We had more on the quarterbacks on a show last week. I think it was either Monday or Tuesday show. So go back and check that out. Before we get out of here, three places I think you might be able to trade Kenyon Drake. 
Real quick, first, the Colts look to pair him with Marlon Mack. Naheem Hines has not been what they had hoped in the passing game as he has just 137 yards on 23 targets. I think Drake could help in that regard and keep Mack fresh down the stretch. I would ask the Colts for their fourth round pick. I'd ask for the same compensation for the Jaguars, a fourth round pick. Who could be more desperate to get a deal from this point? They haven't replaced the passing game production of TJ Yeldon and it's basically just Leonard Fournette there in Jacksonville who does very little in the passing game. I'd call them and try to go after a higher pick to start day three, their fourth round pick this year's draft. And I know Green Bay has a lot of options on their offense, but I keep thinking back to that seam route that Aaron Jones dropped on Monday Night Football and think about how perfect Kenyon Drake would be for Aaron Rodgers and the mismatches he could create. I would ask Green Bay for their third round pick since it probably comes at the end of that round. So basically any team that could use a pass catching back, and I know this information might be late as we could all wake up to a Drake trade on Tuesday, but I do expect him to be on the move if they find a suitor today at the deadline. And with that, let's go ahead and bring this podcast to a finish. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams follow me on twitter at wingfield nfl follow the show at locked on fins keep up to date on the daily dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. you guys have a great rest of your night we'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the locked on dolphins podcast your daily dose for miami dolphins football